Hey, mom and pop listeners, this is your host, John Tatey, and it's time for a tweener episode of Mom and Pop. We squeeze these in between the semi-weekly or bi-weekly episodes of Mom and Pop because everybody wanted to hear mom every week, and who are we to deny them? Uh, so what we do on the in-between episodes is mom and I talk about a retro piece of pop culture, uh, not not from the culture of today, but the culture of yesteryear, if you will, or if you won't. And uh, then we play a little game called Was Abby Right? Where we decide if uh, Dear Abby gave people good advice. Basically, mom plays uh, backseat uh, advice columnist. Is that is that accurate, mom? Yeah, that sounds like fun. That sounds like a good way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, backseat advice columnist. Uh, but first, let's uh, this week we're going to talk about what's my line. <laughs> now that's yeah that's a little that's a, l- later on yeah um, we what did we talk about last time did we talk about to tell the truth yeah so we're talking yes. talking about yes. all the goods and toddman panel shows and uh, next up is what's my line and uh, i've been watching the original what's my lines on uh, buzzer which i've mentioned before on the show and you don't get buzzer but you've seen What's My Line plenty of times. Many, many times. So what is the format of What's My Line? Well, it's very similar to To Tell the Truth. It's uh, four panelists of some fame or fortune, and they... What's my line? Oh, I'm getting it mixed up now. You're getting it mixed up with I've Got a Secret? Yes. So What's My Line is people come in with strange jobs. It's just one person, no? One no, person, that's... yeah. One person at a time comes on, and they have some uh, exotic occupation or interesting occupation. That's right, that's right. And the panel has to ask yes or no questions uh, to right. determine the occupation. And the quirk of what's my line is that, on oh, to tell the truth and I've got a secret, each panelist just gets a certain amount of time, and then they move on to the next. But on what's my line, you get to keep going until the... Um, contestant answers no to a question yeah and who were the panelists on this well the regular panelists were uh, dorothy kilgallen these are the really old ones yeah these are the these are the original ones uh now dorothy kilgallen wrote about broadway in a syndicated newspaper column um, and she took the game very seriously then there was steve allen was a regular panelist uh for uh, just a year and a half or a couple of years, I want to say, at the beginning. Uh, I loved Steve Allen. I thought he was hilarious. He is hilarious. And uh, and then Fred Allen was there for a little while, and then he died. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and then that second spot would just be sort of a rotating. They'd have different people in there. Uh, okay. I saw one with Robert Q. Lewis. Do you remember him? Yep, I do. Uh, very erudite and nerdy fellow. Yeah. Really? He had his own. He had his own uh, game show. He did. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Something like IQ or yeah, yeah. It had Q in it somewhere, but I don't remember Something. exactly what it was. Um, yeah, Robert. He was really on the forefront of nerd chic, but he was just you know about sixty years too early. Too early, yeah. Uh, although, yeah, I mean, he was very fashionable at the time, of course. And then, right. of course, you had Arlene Francis. Right. Right. Very classy. Classy. She was the socialite spot on the panel. Very smart, though. 
very intelligent. And she was married to a producer, I believe, Martin somebody. Oh, was Martin. she? Like a Broadway producer? I believe so. Huh, I didn't know that. I believe that's what he was. Um, and he, he actually was on the show occasionally. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. Maybe if somebody didn't show up or I don't know why he would have been on, but he was on occasionally. Uh, and then at the end of the panel, do you remember who the fourth panelist is? No. Bennett Surf. Bennett Surf. And he was a uh, basically a publisher at, at Random House. Right. You know, this show was sort of um, the epitome of of what was fashionable at the time, which was at a dinner party, you mm-hmm. know, everybody would have dinner and then, then you would play games or something, cards or whatever. So this is this was the sort of atmosphere I always felt like came from this show. Yeah, there's a very uh there's a very aspirational undercurrent to it, isn't there? That it yes. feels like you are hanging with high society, which is not something you see on TV anymore very much at all. No. Well, I don't even know if we have high society other than a drug addict. Yeah. <laughs> what does it... Oh, I get it. Very good, Mom. Took me there, a second. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, uh, well, the high society air was uh, perpetuated in large part by the host, uh, John C. Daly, who really was a newsman, uh, or at least he preferred to be thought of as a newsman. He was a news anchor, uh, and he jumped around between all the networks. uh, And he really viewed this as a side gig, even though it's what he became most famous for. And he is um, rather snooty, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Can you imitate it the way he talks? I mean, it was so, so (laughs) fey and so... um, um, affected. Well, just, I mean, he became famous for his uh, long-winded answers to questions, right? Yeah. And uh, so somebody would say, like, does it require special training? And he would say, well, in the vein in which we on this show traditionally <laughs> consider the parameters of special training, that would be a no. However, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, wait, and there's cards being flipped, isn't there? Well, every time the contestant gives a no answer, one of the cards flips. One of the cards gets So they flipped. win $5 at a time all the way up to $50. So it was right. a very lucrative game, too. <laughs> By hell, if you succeeded on there. But that's, but that's, again, what I mean in that this was like a, a little uh, dessert or something. There, the it wasn't for the money. It, it was just for the act of playing this game. That's right. And that's another thing that's uh, somewhat missing today. Although on the last show, we talked about Naked and Afraid, and there's no cash prize for that either. No, there isn't. So really, what's my line is the Naked and Afraid of its day. Well, I'm sure it was very exciting to be on television at that time. Well, you know, what's funny to me is uh, they have the contestants on and then once the panel guesses their job john daly most of the time just says thank you very much for being on what's my line and then they're gone right there's no chat with them or anything like once your job has been guessed you're useless to the show which i think is so funny although they do they've already figured out everything about his job at that point they've (laughs) asked him all those questions so time for somebody else uh except for the mystery guest of course, right? Uh, which is my least favorite part of the show. 
Why? Most of the time. Well, most of the time I watch it, and I guess I'll say more than half the time I don't know who the celebrity is, you know, because they were famous in the 50s, but they certainly do have some amazing, you know, Woody Allen or Lucille Ball, or they'll have some people who are still famous, but then they'll have people you never heard of, and then you got to hear about the latest movie project or whatever, and uh, I just like to see the panelists play the game. Now, the fun of the game comes uh, out of the questions, you know, the fun is being in the know and the celebrities or I mean the panelists not being in the know. Yeah. Right. So yeah. they ask these questions that have unintentionally hilarious answers and they don't know it. And it's just right. a, such a creative way to elicit comedy. Yeah. Not to, you know, step over the line, but what I'm watching the old um, match games mm-hmm. and, you know, the questions just elicit roars from the audience because the blank, fill in the blank, is something that, very risque, that we're all thinking that nobody is going to say. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's my line isn't, uh, uh, doesn't deal in innuendo so much like that. Although sometimes it does. You know, the example I was going to bring up is uh, they had a bra salesman, uh, salesperson, I should say. It was a woman who sells uh, bras. And uh, yeah, and uh, of course, Bennett steps right in it and he can I wear one, you know, his nasal New York accent. He's, <laughs> yeah. Could I wear one of these, Miss Smith? <laughs> and he just keeps pursuing that. And everybody, you know, the audience is howling and he said, keeps asking all these questions about bras. So they kind of set him up and the producers knew what they were doing there, of course. But of course, um, it's, you know, I love seeing the panelists react to the audience and look around like what could possibly be so funny. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, there, and there's such an innocence about it. There is. Yeah. Uh, can I tell you a strange thing that I noticed, which is that and I don't know if they did this all the way through to the end of John Daly's run, but I'm watching some early episodes now. And when there is a female contestant on they uh the first thing john will ask her is say now is it uh miss or mrs smith which i think is so rude i don't think it was back then i guess it just wasn't i mean he says it just as a matter of fact uh, but i they don't do that to the men you know they don't ask the men if they're married or not well because that's um a man is always mister well i know (laughs) well that makes sense to me what's wrong with you that's silly well, why doesn't he just, I mean, he know, he should just have it on his card or just say Ms. Well, they didn't say Ms. back then. No? They didn't have Ms. back then? No. Google it. You Google it and you'll see that that didn't come into play. That hasn't always been around. Uh, well, I still think it was improper to ask that in front of everybody when the men didn't have to volunteer the same information. Well, I, I'm just going to put that case to rest, that argument to rest, by saying men were always Mr. And didn't they address them, Miss Smith or Mrs. Smith? Well, they did, but I, I, what I'm saying is I don't think John needed to make a big point of asking that. I think he just could have, just could have said Miss. He just could have known. He could have had it yeah. on his card. Yeah. Well, uh, that will remain a mystery to us. Yeah, okay. And they, an annoyance to you. Yeah, I think they did stop doing that after a while. Um, 
actually the first thing John always says, which drives me crazy, is he'll, you know, they come in and they sign in. Sign in, right? This right. is one of the classic signature uh, production elements of it, is John will say, will the next uh, contestant please uh, come and sign in, please? He doesn't say please twice like I just did. He's much more eloquent. <laughs> and then they sign their name on what looks like a chalkboard, but it's actually just a roll of construction paper so they don't have to race it all the time. And as they write it, he will say, Shirley Cooper. Is that right? He always says, is that right? Even though he's got it on his card, he knows it right. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have it on his card. He does because he always gets it right. Even when they, even when you can't read their handwriting, he knows what it is. But don't you think that's his fussy persona? Yes. But, I mean, I hate it was, and love it. He went to the Tilton school, I think. I know. That's always brought up. I don't know why that's such a big deal. Well, the Tilton School used to be much more prestigious than it is now. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. For people who don't know, which I would imagine is 100% of the listeners, <laughs> the Tilton School is a tiny private school uh, near us. And, you know, it's just a New England prep school, but it's a smaller one now. Well, it, it used to be. It used to have some real weight to it. Hmm. Yeah. Of of all the shows, uh, the old older shows, I wish this one would come back because it it has come back in many many incarnations, and I've loved every one of them. Uh, my favorite host of What's My Line of All Time? Do you know who I'm going to say? Larry Blyden. Larry Blyden. God, I love him. Yeah, what did you love about him? He, I thought he did a great job running the game, but I just he has a great he had a great smile and he had. I thought he brought a little bit of a looser sensibility to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I mean, John Daly was always so uptight, which was part of his persona and yeah. was lovable in its own way. Uh, and then they had, uh, what was that guy's name? Wally, do you remember? Oh, God, yeah, I can see him. I can see him too. Anyway, when they first started doing the syndicated version, they had this Wally Bruner, is that his last name? Bruner, that's it. Good Lord, I can't believe I remembered that. Neither uh, can I. He was not very good. I found him somewhat severe and unpleasant, uh, and I just love cheerful, uh, jokey Larry Blyden. Yeah. Who tragically died in a car accident car. in Morocco, I believe. Okay, so that's What's My Line. That was our meandering conversation about What's My Line. Love What's My Line. I agree, they should bring it back. Although, you know, I like to see I've Got a Secret. I think they should bring Gary Moore back from the dead and put I've Got a Secret back on. <laughs> well, wait, if they're going to bring people back from the dead, I have some other people I have in front of him. <laughs> okay. All right. Poor Gary. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sticking with that. He smoked. That was his problem. But we'll talk about Gary Moore next time. How about okay. that? That'll okay. be great. Now it's time to play Was Abby Right, where we look at a recent Dear Abby column, and uh, Mom and I decide if Abby was right or not. It's a pretty simple game, really. The rules are explained in the very title of the game. <laughs> now, Mom has uh, FedExed me an actual newspaper. You know, next time you can just take a picture of it or something, Mom, although I loved getting the print edition. We were just well, talking... Wait, there was other stuff in the package. Well, I know, but I just think it's funny that you also sent the Dear Abby column you wanted to talk about. <laughs> well, wait, what, what did I really send you? Uh, well, you sent me some lovely knitting patterns and some candy for Anna 
and you sent me my uh, New England Patriots Super Bowl champion caps. Right. Yeah. Well, that was imperative that you had this. Did I send you a squirrel thermometer? Yes, you did. Did you yeah. put it up? We haven't put it up yet. Oh, but we digress. Yes. Um, so this uh, Dear Abby column that you sent me is from July 24th. Okay. And it's headlined, Mom's Helpful Hints Upset Girlfriend. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Dear Abby, I'm frustrated about how to connect with my young adult son's 18-year-old girlfriend. He told me she has a bad relationship with her divorced parents, so he's hoping we can bond. A problem that comes up frequently is, she's so anxious to show me how skilled and knowledgeable she is, she misses any tips and techniques I try to subtly teach her. They live together in another state, so our weekend visits at each other's homes seem to amplify the problem. I'll give you an example. When I removed ice cubes from an ice tray, I ran water over the bottom briefly before twisting the tray. She laughed like I was clueless and said, You don't have to do that. Just twist the tray. I replied that the water helped release the cubes more cleanly, quote, because of the physics of the warmer water, unquote. She teared up, left the room, and told my son, who repeated it to me, that I was being critical of her. I have expressed appreciation for her, and my son has reassured her of my intentions, but I'm getting tired of tiptoeing around her issues. How can I help her understand that she can learn from me without it meaning that I think any less of her? Signed, On Eggshells in Montana. Wow, this is, I'm glad you picked this one. There's a lot going on here. But here's what Abby said about it. Dear On Eggshells, It might be a good idea to quit trying to mother or teach this young woman anything unless you are specifically asked, because it appears she's not interested in learning from you. From where I sit, you not only were not critical of her, but the opposite was true of what happened in that kitchen. If she hadn't laughed at you, ridiculed you, for the way you emptied the ice tray, you wouldn't have felt it necessary to explain your technique. So take a step back and stop trying to help her, because it's obviously not appreciated. Huh. Kind of a cold response from Abby, but, uh... All right, Mom, do you think Abby was right here? Well, I... I think she was right, but not for the right reason. She's 18 years old. Chances are she's not going to be around in two years. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. So just go and really, you know, teach her how to make a pot roast. Who the hell cares how you get ice cubes out of a tray? She, this mother sounds bitchy to me. <sighs> Yeah. That that was the best example she could come up with. I know the best way to remove ice cubes. Who gives a shit? Well, I find... Oh, I'm sorry. It's all right. You can say that. Uh, I find the, the... I find this ice tray example so fascinating. For one, one exactly like you said, this is the best example she could come up with? Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel like I can picture... So the girl laughs, right? Laughs at her. And I feel right. like the mom at that point is just saying, well, this is why I do it. Although her explanation, because of the physics of the warmer water, is a little hand wavy, but okay. Well, I'm not sure who you're, whose side you're on. Well, I'm on the wife's side. Uh, the wife. I'm on the mom's side, I guess, in that situation. Because uh, I don't, I mean, I think we can all agree that the 18-year-old 
crying and leaving the room is not necessary, not called for. Well, I agree. I agree that that is not called for. But I have to under I have to believe that under the surface that this mother is saying that constantly. And it's always important stuff like, oh, all your sweaters should be hanging on the hangers in the same direction. Oh, man, I mm. think this woman is really a jerk. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I can buy that theory. Sure. And that's where, yeah, that's what I was feeling. Okay. Oh, I told her, you should only wipe your windows in this direction. And she just didn't even care. She's 18. She could care less about any of that crap. Yeah. <laughs> You're lucky she made ice cubes. See, now this is where you think Abby was right, but for the wrong reason. So what is the right reason? And what is the answer you would give to this woman? I would say when you're a guest in someone's home, you just go if you're, and ask, can I help? Can I help you with this? Or can I clean up and go home? Don't try to change their lives around and teach her anything. Even though her parents are divorced and they don't have a great relationship, it's not like she was raised in a cave. She probably picked a few things up along the way, and she doesn't need your help. Right. I think my advice to this woman would have been to say to the girl, hey, uh, I don't mean to be critical of you. I think I was a little overeager in trying to form a bond, and that was my mistake. And let's, uh, just, let's just try to be more relaxed with each other in the future. I think that would be excellent and very appropriate and probably very appreciated. Cause I but think... nobody, nobody likes to feel somebody's coming in on a superior level. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. And this this girl is not looking to be mothered. And so, yeah, I agree that Abby's right. Quit trying to mother her. But I think also explain yourself, because then maybe you'll get some, you know, if you make yourself vulnerable, maybe the other person will make themselves vulnerable, too. And I think that Abby, you know, Abby's, again, Abby's right when she says, you were not critical of her, but it's kind of beside the point. That's beside the point of sort of the emotional dynamics that are happening here. Right. I mean, the girl laughed at her because of the way she emptied the ice tray. Who? So what? Right. I mean, is that as thin as your skin is, that you that you can't take that? It really sounds like a power struggle. And I think, and I think the bugaboo, the real bugaboo in this is that the son asked her, right? He didn't say anything, come in here and show her how to run the house. No, no. He's just hoping that they become friends. Well, so yeah. mom took it someplace where the son didn't even want it. Seems that way. I, I think you have to read a little more into the situation because that's what I think. Okay, so Abby gets like a half right on this one, it feels like, right? That's what I'm going with. Should I read the other letter in this same column? Might as well, right? Yeah. Okay. This is also from the uh, July 24th edition. Dear Abby, I have new downstairs neighbors. While they appear to be pleasant in most circumstances, I cannot ignore the fact that the wife cries inconsolably in their bedroom three or four times a week late at night. I never hear any yelling or disruption that leads up to this, just loud sobbing in the bedroom that keeps me up several times a week. I don't think she's being abused, but I do think she might be depressed. Can you think of any kind way to send her to my therapist up the street for some help? Stick a business card in their door anonymously? 
bring it up more directly. God, the business card idea. Uh, signed up all night in Washington, D.C. Dear up all night, talk privately with the woman and tell her you are concerned about her because you have heard her crying. Do not ask her why, but if she volunteers, listen to what she has to say. She may need a grief support group or, as you suggested, a therapist. If either of those is the case, you should suggest it. Uh, okay, was Abby right? No. No. Okay, what's your answer? Well, my answer is, mind your own business, one. Um, and do you have any relationship? Do you see them in the hall? Do you say hello? And the reason this letter interested me was because when you lived in your apartment, Mm-hmm. In, in New York or in Brooklyn, you're, you just kind of said, don't need to know the neighbors, just want to live in my apartment, and that's that. Right. Uh, I Yes. And I think as far as it went was maybe a question sometime about did they hear the cats running, or I could be wrong about that. But And, and the only thing I heard you ever say about a neighbor was, uh, I think they smoke pot in this in this apartment back here, but until the people downstairs had a baby, I don't think you ever said anything about the neighbors. And I think that's, that makes the best way to, to run your neighborhood when you live in an apartment house or an apartment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, do you really want to get involved? What if she's, what if she has uh, a psychological problems or, you know, I don't know. I just think it's a big, you can't save the world. Hmm. That's what I think. Okay. Well, I'm surprised we disagree on this one a little bit, actually. Okay. Uh, I think it depends a little, and this may sound crazy, but I think it depends a little on the building. And let me tell you why. Cause no, we... I, I agree with you. I agree with you, but you go ahead. Well, Anna and I, as you know, we first lived in this big high rise in Manhattan yeah. Um, when I was working in TV, and then we moved out to Brooklyn, and it was uh, brownstone. Basically, we had the third floor of a of a brownstone, and there were two other couples in the house, some smaller, a little more intimate. We got to know each other better than I ever knew any of my neighbors in Manhattan. I mean, Manhattan, the only way I knew my neighbors was to go over to their apartments and tell them to shut their damn dogs up because right. everybody in that building had a dog. Uh, but now we live in a Chicago two flat, which is just what it sounds like, a house yeah. that's been divided up into two apartments. And we know our downstairs neighbor fairly well. So if I were in the two flat or even the brownstone situation, I would be inclined at some point to say, hi, I don't mean to be intrusive, but I did uh, hear crying. I think that's how I'd put it. I wouldn't say you or, you know, I would be as ignorant as I could, yeah. but express some concern that I, I have heard some crying and I just wanted you to know that if you need someone to talk to or if you need any help, I'm here and I would I would leave it at that. But I think that it's, I think that there's a place for some basic human compassion here. I don't know. I, I think it's very, uh, I think it's a tough situation and I'll tell you I'll tell you a situation that happened for me. There was one time when I went to get my mammogram and I left. I, you know, I, I was all finished and I left. But as I left the, the dressing room, there was a woman sitting in a chair and she was very quietly weeping. And I had propelled myself towards the door and I went out the door and down the hall. 
and then out past the reception desk, and I stopped, and I thought, does she need someone? Does she need someone, and should it be me? And I decided, no, it shouldn't be me. And the receptionist said, can I help you with something? And I said, well, I said, you can. There's a lady in there that is crying, and she said, oh, she came in for her second test, and I'll go back and let the nurse know right away. So somebody was going to go to her. Mm. But, but you know, she might not have appreciated me stopping, and I realize I don't live in the building with her, but I think I'm not sure crying is an indication to interfere. Well, is it really interfering, though, to just check in? And if the person wants privacy, they can... They can you know, pretty easily put you off. I don't think that there's not going to be any mixed signals on that front. So, you know, and you don't feel that that would start some kind of uncomfortableness. You you feel that you if you could word it just the right way, it would work. I think if I could word it with respect for the person's privacy, that I think it would be better to show someone who may be feeling alone that there's someone there for them. And if they're not feeling alone or if they would prefer to be alone, then that's going to be sorted out very easily. Well, do you think there's some other kind of news? No, that's not what I meant. Do you think there's some other kind of noise that you would hesitate to confront? Hmm. (laughs) Crying seems very personal to me. But public crying, and inconsol- in this case, it's inconsolable crying on a routine basis. Yeah. That, for me, has caused a concern. Anne and I, uh, when we were living in Japan way back when, uh, and we had that tiny apartment, the person below us one night, we heard him just crying inconsolably. Uh, but it was just that one night, and we figured he broke up with his girlfriend or something. Yeah. You know, it sounded like... It sounded like the kind of crying of like a major life change like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but if you know, if it had been every night, I think we would have been more concerned, and that's that's what this is. And I think you just because yeah. I know this is terrible to say, but this to me just makes me think. Well, what if she ends up hurting herself or or killing herself, and then you'll just be thinking, what could I have done? And rightly so. So I think you just make a an effort to show the person that there's another human being who cares about them. But isn't isn't there another person in there living with her? Well, but maybe, you know, there is, but she's still crying, so maybe the relationship, I don't know, maybe that person's not doing it for, for her and she needs help from somewhere else. Okay, and now let me just ask you this question. Would you knock on the door or would you wait till you saw her in the hall? <sighs> that is tough. Uh I would hope that there would be some opportunity to come across her uh, Mm -hmm. in the hall. But if that didn't work, I think I might knock on the door at some point. You might, yeah. I think knocking on the door would be hard for me. Very hard. But I think I could agree with you, you know, seeing her in the hall or right out front or something like that. I think I could, I think I could say something. I, I don't know if I could knock on the door though. Yeah. So I think Abby was right on this one, but you think she was wrong. I I think she was wrong, and I think I think the neighbors saying she could stick the the card of her therapist in the door. Oh is a, yeah, is an oh, incomplete. Yeah, that is a bad idea. That just has 
oh, that just gives me chills how wrong and bad that is. Because so. then that's just going to fill the neighbor's head with all these ideas. Yeah, exactly. Who put this here? Why? You know, they, I yeah. think they would feel embarrassed. And yeah, that is a terrible idea. Very bad idea. It, it's it's uh, It's cowardly, really. All this person potentially needs is some show of fellow humanity. And if they don't need that, then it's it's fine. Yeah, okay. I think that's a very good summation. All right. So Abby didn't do too bad this week, but uh, I think you did even better, Mom. Aw, thanks. Yeah. Uh, this and, you, is... and you brought some humanity to that last <laughs> question, too, that changed my mind a bit. So. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, well, this has been a tweener episode of Mama Pop. We'll be back with a full episode uh, next week. Thanks for listening. So long for now. <laughs>